2: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
3: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry.
4: Welcome back to It Could Happen Here, the podcast about, you know, the problems and stuff that are happening and how to maybe make them better. And speaking of the problems that are happening and how to make them better, Garrison Davis, hi. Hello. Hey,
5: Chris.
4: That's a a weird segue. I wanted to introduce this video by telling you guys that I just watched a movie that you should watch because it's pretty rad. And it ties into all the things we talk about. It's called The Pizzagate Massacre. And oh it is, no. It is a micro budget, under a hundred thousand dollars film that looks great. They did a really good job with the budget they had. About um a an Alex Jones employee type person and a mass shooter who go looking for uh uh to try to solve the Pizzagate thing. Oh boy. Um, it is a an actually very nuanced and I think deeply knowledgeable commentary on specifically like the texan conspiracy scene like it's a it like okay. a film they're alex jones character who's played by a woman in this they film in the original studio that he recorded in back at the oh, that's God. funny like the the filmmaker who did this gets like the culture in the area and kind of the relationship between the people who get radicalized and do shit and the people who just profit from it it's a very good movie. um it's it is, by the way, a grindhouse horror movie. Like whatever you're expecting, it's not that. It is like a it is a an incredibly gory grindhouse movie. Um but it's it's pretty it's pretty fun.
5: What does that have to do with Cop 26?
4: Nothing at all, but it has a lot to do with it could happen here. Because
5: Okay. All right. <laughs>
4: it's in my well, head. Go watch it.
5: Anyway, um this is it could happen here, a show about how things are kind of falling apart and How we can uh, maybe slow that down or or prepare for uh, uh, an uncertain future? Um, You want to do an
4: episode about cops, right? I mean, fuck them.
5: I mean, we are we are planning an episode on Washington uh, State Patrol, Mm -hmm. Um, but no, this is episode about a different a different kind of cop. About just as useful. so in the first five episodes of the of the Daily Show or season two, which if you haven't listened to, you should definitely listen to those as, the, as they kind of act as our show's manifesto of sorts. But nevertheless, uh, the first five episodes of the scripted Daily Show put forth like a more like realistic, non-sugar-coated look at what climate change will bring if we continue on our current course. Um, but not just looking at the obvious environmental and extreme weather effects, but also like the socio-political effects. So, when I was helping Robert out with the research for those episodes, uh, some of the best indicators of, like, the mainstream conception of the scientific, environmental, and political status of climate change was at the United Nations uh, past uh, uh, IPCC reports, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and the COP conferences. So, during the first few weeks of this past November of uh, November 2021, the 26th annual cop conference took place in Glasgow. Um, and yeah, the name of the conference is kind of a decent indication on how useful these things actually are um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, a cop st- stands for a conference of the parties and for almost three decades they've been like the main international stage uh for uh for countries and companies to discuss climate related information and like their alleged like goals um so yeah they're a good indicator not unlike sometimes they do present actual good science and like decent predictions but they're often just like a good indication of what kind of the mainstream people think about what climate change is and you know what the people in power how they are viewing it and how urgent they think it's worth addressing versus how much money they want to spend on it. So the the most notable uh, COP in recent memory was the 2015 one in uh, Paris, COP21. This is kind of where the uh, Paris Climate Accords were born. Uh, the commitment was to aim for 1.5 degrees of warming, and it was signed on by nearly all major countries. Of course, the U.S. signed on, left, then re-signed on, but anyway, un- un- under the Paris Agreement, uh, countries committed to bring forth like uh, national plans, uh, figure- figuring out how they would reduce their emissions. Uh, but they would do it like by themselves, and they would be called uh, NDCs, or Nationally Determined Contributions. And the idea was for every five years, countries would gather up and present their current plans on the national stage. This was what COP twenty six was going to be. Now it was delayed a year because of the pandemic, but COP twenty six was the time for countries to present their uh, NDCS on and for, for like their updated versions to, on their plans to reduce emissions. So uh, most of the NDCS got submitted uh, before the conference and kind of led the discussion of the conference um, by like mid October. Uh, I think about seventy uh, percent uh, of the uh, countries or uh, you know states that signed on to the paris agreement submitted their submitted their version of the ndcs and 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 th- those countries about 140 of them are responsible for the majority of global emissions so that that, that was what kind of led up to to cop 26 from happening um and the, the overarching aim of the conference according to uh cop 26 president um I'm going to try to pronounce this name, um, Alok Sh- uh, Sharma. Um- he he said that the 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 idea for the conference was to like keep alive the 2015 uh, Paris Agreement's target to to keep global temperatures from rising above 1.5 uh, degrees Celsius uh, above pre-industrial levels. So th- that was that was like the goal of the conference going into it was to kind of keep this idea of the Paris Climate Accords of still being achievable. Um, and that's and that's not what happened at COP twenty six. Now it's 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 important to kind of point out that the the commitments laid out in the Paris uh, Accords don't come close to limiting global warming to one point five degrees, as it is said in the Accords. Like like they they, they acknowledge that, um, which is what the kind of NDCs are for. But even still, those are just non th- those are those are just non binding agreements. But Anyway, so the the accord, the accords, and the the restrictions and goals, and well, there, there's no restrictions; it's just goals. The goals in them don't don't come close to limiting to 1.5 degrees, and we've already most likely uh, shot way past the point of that being in any way achievable. Um, but you know, we can still limit things from being mega bad, like four degrees. But we are we are already on a certain path, so. In in asking nations to set tougher targets by uh, next year for cutting climate warming emissions, the uh, new agreement at Glasgow uh, uh, acknowledged that the commitments that were in place are inadequate, and if rigorously followed, the, the 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 new national pledges, so include the stuff including the Paris Accords and the new Glasgow Pact, um, and all of the individual like uh, uh NDCS, if all of those are followed the world is now on track for uh, 2.1 to 2.4 degrees celsius of warming by the end of the century and that is the lower estimate as we'll see later on uh, higher estimates were also um, uh, shown at at the uh, at the glasgow conference so we have th- the idea was to hopefully keep it to 1.5 and already we're pushing that back by almost a whole a whole degree if we're going to like 2.4 um, so that that's that's like the main the, the one of the main impacts there is like just totally kissing 1.5 goodbye like no what no one even is going to view that as a possibility at this point huh so i i don't know how many people were still looking at that as a really a goal apparently some of pe- the planners of COP26 apparently were <laughs> um but i mean i know for us we've we've been aware of that and i'm, I'm not sure how you know really what mainstream liberals were thinking before this but hopefully at the very least maybe cop 26 made them realize that maybe it's there's a this kind of it's it's maybe worse than what you were thinking um but so there there other things did happen at at, at glasgow that are that are worth looking into um so the the main quote unquote achievements of the, of the Glasgow deal, uh, besides like revisiting the emissions cutting plans to try to keep stuff down, which of course were you know not 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 met and shot way past, um, but there, we also had the first ever inclusion of a uh, commitment to uh, limit coal use. Now the way phrasing is going to work here is going to be really interesting because the reason why this deal got passed is because some very specific uh, shifts in their phrasing around. coal use. Um, the other thing that CO- that COP twenty six tried to do was increase uh, financial help for so called developing countries and provide funds and assistance for like climate disasters. So like when cl- when like extreme weather events happen, have a set of funds uh, set aside to help countries in these disasters. Now those are that that is a good idea, but uh, as we'll see later, the way COP twenty six actually did it is not actually. Doing it, it's like they're 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 pushing they're they're postponing this kind of goal, but they're just making it a, a prospect. But back to coal. So the Glasgow Climate Pact was the first ever climate deal to explicitly plan to reduce coal, which was uh, a one one of the worst like f- fossil fuels uh, for, for greenhouse gases. Um, and, and, and coal really can be phased out. Co- coal can be phased out by, um, electric power really easily. It, 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 it's, it is the easiest one. Um, it's, it, it's, it's way easier to phase out coal than it is, uh, natural gas or, uh, other, um, or, uh, sorry, what's the, 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 uh, the, the other main one. There's three. There's, uh, coal, natural gas. What's, what's the last one? regular gas i guess so yeah yeah petroleum-based stuff yeah. um yeah but so the coals because coal is mostly used for heat um electrically generated heat is way is way easier than uh all than the, those other two so coal coal really should be phased out as soon as possible um but the commitment to phase out coal that was introduced in earlier negotiations um, led to some fighting uh, specifically among India and China who were uh, in in strong opposition to the phrasing and the actual constraints of, of the deal. Um, and a, a, a lot of this is like the argument that like, if these countries are still developing, it's not fair to them to remove this resource when other developed nations had it. So that, you know, that, that's, that's, we see that argument a lot around like climate change stuff is like, oh, you, you're just gonna stop other countries from developing because you, you you got to get to this certain point of being a successful like wealthy nation um, and like you know, with all this like in, industrial development on the back of fossil fuels and stuff. But so now you're going to remove that opportunity for other countries. Now there is there is um a lot of stuff around like degrowth frameworks that address this issue and specifically try to uh, try to get um, fossil fuel savings, like a decrease in emissions, and be able to use some some of those gains to assist countries in getting stuff set up to a decent standard of living. Um, but you know that, that is going to be addressed on a whole other scale around like capitalism and. And how countries intervene in other countries—that that's part of like a bigger political question. But anyway, um, India and China did not like the, did not like the coal deal. Um, so in the end, the countries did agree to uh, phase down coal rather than phase out coal. So that, that, that is the phrase that they ended up using is phase down. Um, the, uh, the, the people weren't super happy about this. Uh, the COP twenty six president. Um, Alec uh, Sharma said that he was uh, deeply sorry for how these events unfolded, and like focus on coal is good. It's, it's, it's responsible for about forty percent of annual CO two emissions, but also like just focusing on coal leaves a really big lack of discussion on oil and gas. Like there's like those are also like very bad, yeah. and <laughs> arguably we should be focusing on those a lot. Like those are th- those are the main ones. We should get, we should get rid of coal, yes, but if we just focus on that, then there's a lot of other stuff going on. So that is that is a lot of coal talk uh you know who also uses coal our sponsors. Yeah, um,
4: we're entirely sponsored by Joe Manchin. Um, yes. big friend of the pod.
6: Uh thank
4: you thank you for always having our back, Joe.
5: Anyway, here's some ads. and we are back talking about uh COP26 and there is there is a decent there stuff stuff did happen so and i know it, it is going to be more of a, a sciencey and numbers episode but it, it is worth actually figuring out what what happened there because all, everyone just kind of had the perception like oh COP26 was a failure because yeah it was um but it's it's it is good to know what actually is going on at things like this because if we're going to get some kind of you know liberal change this is where it's going to happen so it is good to keep an eye on what these types of people are thinking so we we left off on talking about how their plans to phase down coal and there was like a general lack of focus on oil and gas and it is interesting um if you <laughs> so there was a a a, a group of uh, activists uh, led by this uh uh I think I think it's like an NGO called uh, Global Witness, um, assessed the participant list published by the UN at the start of the meeting. And they found that uh, there was 503 people uh, with links to fossil fuel interests who were like accredited uh, members of the climate summit. And so and they were like delegates. So COP26 delegates associated with fossil fuels outnumbered national delegate numbers for every other country. So there were more people representing fossil fuel interests than there were representing any individual country at COP twenty-six. So you're thinking, Great huh system. maybe maybe I wonder why this stuff's not going too good. Oh, it's because it's being run mostly by fossil fuel companies? Yep. That's that's uh Huh. Oh. That's an interesting interesting little thing there. Um Yeah. So the, the, the other the other kind of notable thing about cop 26 is uh it uh it it led to a quote-unquote breakthrough in the rules for uh, government-led carbon markets so this is the thing that the neoliberals are really excited about is this idea of carbon markets because it's a way to make more money kind of off of removing carbon and just to create a lot of red tape and bureaucracy around this idea of of Lowering emissions. So, I guess one of the ways to describe carbon markets, if you're kind of unfamiliar with this idea, is that uh, countries that do not meet their emission reduction targets in their national climate pledges are like uh, penalized for this. Um, so, so countries that countries that don't meet their emission targets or or want to just pursue Like less less uh, expansive emission cuts. What 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 this deal set out to do is that instead of actually lowering emissions, they can purchase like emissions reduction tokens and credits from other nations that have cut their emissions more than the amount that they pledged. Uh, So like by you know moving to low carbon energy and various stuff. So. The turn of phrase that people were using to discuss this, to how you can like purchase purchase credits to represent emissions that you didn't cut but wanted to, is that this can potentially unlock trillions of dollars for protecting forests, expanding renewable energy, and other projects to combat climate change. Um, So the idea here is that the money used to purchase these credits is going to get put into other things that will help fight climate change. But all of this is non-binding and speculative, and yeah, it just I, furthers this whole carbon market concept, which I'm not thrilled about. Um, yeah, we, we should we should do like a full episode
6: on carbon markets. But the, the, the thing so I, 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 I this is you know, this is the thing I studied academically in college and is incredibly important for everyone to understand that carbon markets are fake and do not work at all. Ever yeah. no yeah. one has ever gotten per, one to work. Reference. No one's ever gotten a national one to work. No one's ever gotten an international one to work. Uh, I- implementation of carbon markets, like China did, had a big thing where they're going to implement a carbon market. Uh it was fake. It didn't work. Their carbon emissions still increase. Very, example, very important. <laughs> like
4: how fucky carbon markets can be. So you get carbon credits if you're a business like Tesla that makes no emission electronic vehicles. And Tesla for a lot of its earlier history made a significant chunk of its profits selling carbon credits to polluting industries and yep. basically saying, you guys keep polluting, we got your back. Like the the fact that we're putting electric cars out onto the street means you guys can keep emitting at the same level. Like that's that's like literally
6: yeah,
4: how how kind of the the business can work. It's it's not the best way to fix the problem.
5: Yeah, so there was a lot of a lot of talk was around carbon markets, um, because that's of course what the neoliberal establishment neoliberal establishment is 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 going to focus on because it it still is within their kind of worldview. Um how do we monetize the rot? Yeah, how do we how do we make money off of the world ending? Um, which I guess we're gonna see a lot more of that. Uh in the next, in the next few decades, um, the the other the other thing that they decided on is uh, uh, next year. There's gonna there's gonna be again. So there's there's they they decided to procrastinate, which is just a ge- a general theme of COP conferences. I mean, it's is, what we've
4: been doing. With, it's what everyone's been doing yeah. about climate change since yeah. forever. Yeah.
5: So yeah, the, the the main thing they do is decide p- to procrastinate. Um, so uh, next year, there's going to be a UN committee to report on progress towards delivering uh, $100 billion per year in uh, promised climate funding. Uh, this was after rich nations failed to deliver on the 2020 deadline for said funds. Um, and then financing is going to be discussed again in 2024 and 2026 at those conferences. Um, But this this deal left a lot of uh, more vulnerable nations uh, who were going to rely on this promised funding uh, kind of just they just left them with nothing. So the whole idea was that, like, yeah, we need this funding to help people in these disasters and different like losses and damages and to help, you know, start start making more um, renewable energy technology in lieu of doing tons of tons of coal mining. And that's where this money was going to get used for, and it's not happening. Um, so, th- this this promise was initially made at a UN uh, a conference on climate change in 1992, and we're still we're still pushing it back <sighs> year by year. So, <laughs> this pledge is older than I am. Yeah, it sure yeah. is. Another pledge made in 2009 to provide $100 billion to emerging economies was supposed to be made in 2020. That also was missed, um, and it was, it was designed to help nations uh, adapt to climate effects and make the transition to clean energy. Um, and uh, the, the uh, COP26 president said that around $500 billion will be mobilized by 2025. So, cool. Uh, thanks for saying those numbers, which mean nothing. Yeah, it's fun it's, it's fun how you can just talk and say things and it doesn't actually matter.
4: It's it's one of the things that's so frustrating about this is trying to get a handle on like how how a lot of these solutions are supposed to work. So like one of the articles if you're trying to actually uh, if you're not just taking our word for it, which you never should, and trying to research like carbon credits and and carbon markets and like how they might work or might help, like one of the articles you're going to come across is uh, an article in nature.org called making carbon markets work for faster climate action. And this is very much obvious, at least from 2021. So it's pretty, it's pretty recent and it's not at all a a climate denial piece. It's it's just kind of laying out a case for how carbon markets could be very effective at uh, reducing emissions. But you, you have to grapple the whole time you're looking at this with the fact that like, they they haven't that they that haven't. Uh, global global emissions are still sh- and they, they they provide a number of like options for how this could work and it's one of those things where i'm not going to say it's impossible i'm certainly not an expert on this and you can read through the article um if you want but it it it's it's certainly certainly the, the thing you can say right now is that carbon markets have not led to a global decrease in emissions because we we have not had emissions decrease other than that little dip we had when uh covid uh uh did its its sweet little dance yeah but,
5: that one month where we could actually see the sky again
4: yeah it, that was pretty rad um but yeah there's there's i mean you you can check that article out for kind of the pro-carbon markets case uh it all seems i mean one of the things that's f- frustrating to me about it is it all it, it's all like Yeah. Uh, here's how it might work if, you know, everybody got on board the Paris climate agreement and also all of this worked ideally, but there's, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of, I, I, I just don't see any evidence that like, they've shown that this is actually likely to be helpful. Um, it's more just like, yeah, this, this could, this could work if, if we do these other things, um, which is frustrating. That's like all, all of the kind of shit that you get at, at, at COP26, where it's like, yeah, I guess theoretically, if you were to do that, or if that were to work the way you're saying, or if that were to work with the assumption that like, all these other factors don't grow over this period of time, then, then this might help. But we also know what's happened with emissions and global attempts to reduce climate change, um, which is not to say that like, Like emissions in the United States, like there have been there's been a lot that's been done to curb emissions from the United States. Now, the thing that's often left out of like the discussion of these different things and how they impacted our emissions is like, well, a lot of those emissions got pushed off to other countries that are now making the things that we were making
5: for. Yes, like that's the big thing when people argue against degrowth and they're like, no, you can you can still keep growing your economy while lowering emissions like, yeah, one country can, but we still want the stuff, so we're just moving it to other countries to produce. So, like, we're not actually lowering it on a global level. You can, lo- you can lower it on, like, an individual country level, but not totally globally, because we still want to consume the thing.
6: This One of the single most frustrating things about talking to people about climate change is that... Okay, you know, if, if you talk to the sort of neoliberal carbon market people, right, if you talk about literally anything else, right, the only thing they ever talk about is how the entire world is interconnected, how the entire economy is interconnected, how we're more interconnected than ever. And then the moment you start talking about climate change, they go, oh, well, it's all the individual country, individual country, individual country. The economy is not connected at all. It's all uh, about the individual policy yeah. in the country. And it's like, no, it's not. It's, it's about like all, all, all of the, like, the, 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 the emissions are foreign direct investment driven. Right. It's about it's, it's about it's about it's about where investment money is going. And you cannot. And, you know, this this is this is why COP in some ways. Is like, this is why it doesn't work. And even though it's the only framework that could work. Right. You have to have an international response. It has to be coordinated. It has to be working across national lines, because, again, that's how the economic system works. But it doesn't because a states, individual states can't and will not ever solve this. And then B. COP is like okay so here's here's your international framework but also we're just going to have you know the actual the the, the, the actual international framework is going to be just essentially hammered up by a bunch of fossil fuel companies and so it's just you know it's it's the worst of both worlds
4: I mean it's it, and it you can see there's there's some kind of acknowledgement at the the fact that this is an international problem in in like the basic idea of of carbon markets which includes the idea that like um you can companies that that emit emit less and don't use up their carbon budget can like sell carbon credits and you can do this across international lines and like if we hold co- if we hold companies to different like emissions standards internationally based on things like the Paris climate agreement then that will cause the carbon credit system to work better um there's that acknowledgement that it is an international problem but again i just don't i don't see i don't see evidence that it's Working and they, they they like none of the evidence that I I've read makes it seem like there's a very good case that this is going to at the very least that this is going to provide the kind of emissions reductions that are necessary to forestall the worst case scenarios that are coming. Um, and if we're going to be again to be completely intellectually honest here, we can talk about degrowth all day long. Um, I have a similar problem with that that I do to a lot of these the the, the different kind of. The targets that COP 26 uh, introduced, stuff like carbon markets, where it's like, I don't, I don't see that solving the problem either. It's like a theoretical. It's it's yeah. If we were to get people to, if if, if we've gotten people on board with degrowth, then you've already fundamentally shifted the very nature of global society um, and also the way in which Americans and people in other Western nations like conceive of economics at a fundamental level. Um, and so it's, it's one thing to say that like, yeah, if people accepted that and, and got on board with a a lifestyle that is not based on this, this kind of capitalist notion of endless growth of, of ever increasing extraction from the world in order to create value, um, then we could, we could actually stop emitting at the kind of levels that are going to lead to these horrible consequences. Um, the question is like, I, I, I don't see a. I don't see you. You can. I think you can argue that degrowth is more realistic in that. Yes, that would absolutely work, as opposed to carbon credits and other things. Where it's like, well, theoretically, it might work if they do all this other stuff. Yeah, it
7: does. Right. It does, it does revolve
5: to it. it. It does revolve on the cultural notion of yeah. America and the West completely changing. Mm-hmm. Um.
4: It's a big, it's a big ask, you know. Yeah,
5: um, and I mean, like, there is there is smaller steps, like totally, like yes. reorganizing how cities work so we do not use cars. Uh, like, like, like re redoing a public transportation, um, uh, like sector, uh, in you know, um. Making, make, making like uh, solar panels and renewable energy a required part of like city infrastructure, right? There's there's a lot of ways to push us towards that thing, but there's not one thing we can do, right? Because it, it is in large parts a cultural change. Stuff stuff will help with emissions, like if we if we redesign cities around public transportation. And make it so stuff is not as as far yeah. apart. And yeah, that that's going to help lower emissions if we if we require all these other types of uh, renewable energy projects to be built into buildings and uh, added on to our current cities. And yeah, that that is going to help lower emissions. But you know, there's there's not one one big step that we can all do at the same time.
4: And I, I think that that's I don't know it, I i I'm of two minds about it. One part of me says. That's absolutely the the most intelligent way to go about it is focusing on things like reducing the use of like, like, like really all ending car culture in cities. Yeah, Um, because it's not even a reduction thing. It has to be like that, that has to die. Um, But we're a lot closer to that than ending the idea of like... Capitalism, Um, yes, yes. uh, Because there, and number one, because there are capitalist, very capitalist countries that have that do not have a car culture that like stopped that and that actually like had one at one point and then reworked their. So that's that's and that would yeah that is a significant that's probably go that would probably lead to larger emissions reductions than any kind of carbon credit system could ever lead to.
7: Um,
4: I also. And and so, yeah, I think that that's on an objective level. Yeah, that's it's smart to focus on stuff like that, where you're all you are arguing for reducing growth, uh, but you're also arguing it for like, hey, your life will be more pleasant if you live in a city where you can walk everywhere. And you're not at risk of getting run down by, you know, two ton trucks anytime you cross the street. And like you're not dealing with smog and pollution and horrible like hour and a half long commutes on these crowded nightmare highways. but it's also it's still incrementalist you know um,
5: Absol- absolutely so we
4: we are we are talking here we are kind of like walking through here um all of the the best incremental solutions and and what is the most realistic of those um and i, I think that's fine i think that's kind of where we have to be because that is what's most likely to actually happen to make the problem better um but it is it, we have to acknowledge it is incremental like we're not we're not solving the, (laughs) it would would be very arrogant to say like, here's how we solve this problem once and for all. You know, I just want to, I think sometimes when you talk about stuff like degrowth, you can get into this, you can kind of, it can come across as if you're trying to like simplify like and if we do this we'll, like it'll yeah. be perfect it's like no this would be like the hardest thing no we've that's ever had to do people.
5: that's like saying we have to can fix it by all doing a revolution it's like that's, yeah yeah it's it's not okay okay cool <laughs> yeah i mean yeah that would fix it but <laughs> anyway uh we have to do some ads and then we'll be back to finish yeah. up kind of their closing expectations on cop 26 and the other kind of things happening in the periphery um here's ads Okay, we are back and we're talking about kind of what happened towards the end of COP26. So we already kind of discussed how the deal was made, what was in the deal, what things were talked about. Um, now we're kind of going to talk about, you know, the other kind of closing thoughts around it. Um, in, in 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 the lead up to, to COP26, the uh, United States Special Presidential Climate uh, Envoy, uh, John Kerry, who's like, he's supposed to be like our climate guy. Um, he, he also said the goal of the summit was to was to, you know, hope that we can limit stuff to 1.5 degrees. And, you know, he, he called this the last best hope for the world to get its act together. Uh, but by the time COP26 came to the end, his uh, language and attitude had kind of changed. Um, after after two weeks of debate and negotiation, his his final remarks reflected the, kind of the points we've been talking about How um, and, and, and said, like, uh, g- the, the government energy policy is currently in place, Around the world, are projected to result in about 2.7 degrees uh, Celsius of warming above pre-industrial levels. And government pledges to cut climate emissions would limit warming to 2.4 if they are met. So that's again, we're just launching way past this like mythical fantasy of of 1.5 degrees. And the the other scary things is that we're getting a lot a lot closer to large scale feedback loops. Feedback loops are things like once we have reached a certain degree of warming, environmental effects will be triggered that will cascade and produce like exponential growth in warming. This is like a this it's not purely theoretical, but it is mostly stuff that we still probably can't prevent, and we really need to get on it like ASAP because once these things start happening, they are very hard to reverse. One of the biggest ones that have that are already being affected is photosynthesis by plants on land, and how that is decreasing its ability to suck up carbon. Um, About about 30% of our annual carbon emissions are uh, removed by the air, by photosynthesis, um, and the the rest of which are dissolved in the ocean, causing ocean acidification, or that you just hang around in the atmosphere, which causes, you know, uh, a bigger thermal blanket. So uh, photosynthesis has like a thermal maximum beyond which carbon can only be taken so much of it in and then the process which by plants give off carbon and water actually increases and we are already at that point in a a lot of places and we are we are at that we we achieve the warming required to get to that point uh, a few times throughout the past decade so land-based carbon uptake is projected to decline by nearly 50 percent as early as 2040 and, and these effects have not been included in any of the, you know, published pathways leading to lower, like lower degrees of warming. Um, and again, this isn't this isn't just speculative. Like uh, the biggest example of this that we can like point to is like the Amazon rainforest, how that is now a net emitter uh, because it is no longer sucking up enough carbon to offset the amount of carbon it actually shoots out. So we need to stop deforestation and keep planting more trees, essentially, because uh, that that sucks. And also just as a general kind of indicator of the cascading effects that are happening. And we are we're still on the path for kind of large large scale disasters in a lot of places around the world. Um, the, uh, it's around 19% of the Earth's uh, land area is in pretty, pretty dire uh, risk on our current emission pathway, uh, the Marshall Islands, the Maldives. Um, uh, Vietnam, Southeast Asia, Middle East, parts of North Africa and Central America, um, uh, uh, overall around one third of the land humans occupied are predicted to either uh, drown by sea, by sea level rise or, became, or become too hot for human life just by the end of this c- century alone. So that, that'll that cause, you know, mi- migration, panics and wars and all, like a whole bunch of bad things that we can't, we can't limit that. Like that is something that we need to limit now and if we don't it's still it's still happening so th- these are the other kind of things talked about at the end um so that was kind of cop 26 as a whole um uh, the one last thing i want to mention is just how evil facebook is um so <laughs> kind of kind of an aside but um F- facebook's vice president of global affairs uh, uh talked um and uh, about Facebook's efforts to combat climate misinformation um, as the Glasgow summit uh, began. But as this was happening, uh, conservative media outlets like Newsmax were, were running ads on Facebook calling glo- global warming a hoax, gaining hundreds of thousands of views. Stuff like, you know, Candace Owens and Daily Wire were spreading climate misinformation. But, and, you know, as as Facebook was bragging about its ability to, cl- to combat misinformation around climate change... Um, the UK-based uh, think tank Influence Map, which identified misleading Facebook ads uh, from several media outlets um, uh, 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 around COP26, also found that fossil fuel companies and uh, lobbying groups spent uh, half a million dollars on political and social uh, issue Facebook ads during the summit, uh, resulting in over 22 million impressions, including content that promoted uh, environmental effects under what we would call like greenwashing. Uh, stuff like, you know, uh, the American Petroleum Institute putting a, putting an ad out over, like, a natural landscape as it, like, touts its efforts to tackle climate change. Um, so all all of that kind of stuff. So I just think it's really dumb because Facebook brags about its ability to combat climate misinformation as it's running ads mm-hmm. saying climate change is a hoax and then doing g- general, like, gre- greenwashing is more common, but still it's yeah. frustrating. Um, and,
4: And yeah, just as a note, like we talk about this in the Facebook episodes of Astridge that dropped recently, but like the number one spreader right now of climate disinformation on Facebook is Breitbart, which a lot of the Facebook papers have gone on to like the extreme lengths Facebook executives went to keep Breitbart as one of their like trusted news partners and continue putting their stuff out to a huge audience because it goes very viral. It was good for engagement on the platform. And that's the decision Facebook's like whatever they say. This is like when we when we're talking about car- carbon credits when we're talking about like the different proposed solutions I'll do a bit of waffling cuz I don't want to come across as too certain about what the right way to go forward is when it comes to how Facebook has handled climate disinformation it's very black and white um they enabled it for direct profit and they talked about it and people within the company were like hey we're deliberately enabling climate change misinformation in order to make more money um it's a it's a it's a very easy case to make
5: yeah, so that wraps up my uh, my report back on COP twenty uh, six. I know a lot of a lot of stuff was like there's there's a lot of headlines like before the summit even ended and before the deal was even finalized that was like COP twenty six is a failure, which is like yes, but I think I think it is worth actually relearning learning what happens at these things because I think we have this idea that they're like some like mythic secret gathering of people to discuss plans and it's like no, like you can actually like. See everything they're talking about. Like it's it's all yeah. out in the open. Like you can actually see what what the plans are. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be all shrouded in. It, it, it doesn't need to be like shrouded in mystery. So I just wanted to give people like a rundown on what the actual people in power how they're discussing climate change and what their expectations are, and how you know expectations have you know, the past five years have risen by basically a degree, right? Because like Mm -hmm. in in 2015, we're like, we can do 1.5. And now we're like, we can do 2.5. Yeah. So that is what we've done in five years. That's what's happened.
4: And Um, I think that's what justifies the kind of blanket pessimism about anything coming from COP26, about anything being suggested by like a state actor or an international organization, which is that like we've all watched the last 20 years. Like they've said a lot of great stuff about what could work. It's like that nature article about like, okay, well, like you've got a bunch of math here arguing about how it might work, but we've got the last 20 years of policies to say, but it probably won't. Right. But it's almost certainly not going to work. Right. So we, we could say like, yeah, theoretically this might be helpful, but like realistically nothing, everything you guys have argued about in the same way has been a miserable failure pretty much.
5: Well, uh, that that wraps it up for us uh hey. you, can follow, you can follow the show on twitter and apparently instagram um at happen uh, here pod rigid, yeah. and uh cool zone media uh we got a new cool zone media show dropping soon uh uh Corp. that's pretty exciting yeah check um, it out
4: it's about how we love amazon and you should pay the money
5: i don't think that's what it's about but anyway um opposite of that. yeah Same, so to
4: buy some carbon offsets
5: from amazon and with, that, free. and with that, we're closing the show.
3: <laughs> it Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at slash sources. Thanks for listening.
1: Happy Pride from Tomboy X